0: Welcome to Berlin Inside Out, the podcast that takes an expert look at how Germany sees the world and the world sees Germany, with me, Benjamin Tallis. And me,
1: Aaron Gash-Burnett.
0: Welcome back to Berlin Side Out, the foreign affairs podcast that takes an expert look at how Germany sees the world and the world sees Germany, in association with the German Council on Foreign Relations. I'm Benjamin Tallis, Senior Research Fellow here at the Council, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Aaron Gash-Burnett, a journalist specializing in German politics. Now, today... Um, we're looking at an especially key relationship, but also a very difficult partnership for Germany, the one it has with Poland. In fact, this relationship between Warsaw and Berlin has been perhaps never so important to get right as it is now. Never had the stakes been so high, uh, but also has the difficulty been so great, uh, given the substantive disagreements between the two countries. Yet, Poland's election seems to have opened a chance for a new start, a reboot of this key relation. Poland's economy is growing fast, one of the fastest rates in the EU, 6.8% in 2021. And because Warsaw has taken such a leading role in responding to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, it carries significant diplomatic, political and military weight, not to mention the large uh, military rearmament that Warsaw is undertaking. Yet in the past, the relationship has been coloured by disagreement, um, particularly spurred also by the the tone that was taken by the PIS, uh, law and justice government in Poland, but also by German lack of recognition of Poland's concerns. Um, But beyond that, there's also a lot of uh, historical baggage, isn't there, Aaron?
1: That's right, Ben. Warsaw and Berlin are only about a a five-and-a-half-hour train ride from each other, but they often feel worlds apart diplomatically and politically. The German ambassador to Poland may well have one of the hardest jobs in the German foreign service, given the tense negotiations and dialogue that has characterized the German-Polish relationship for years. A previous German ambassador to Poland, Arndt Freitag von Loringhoven, who served from 2020 to 2022, had his appointment delayed, actually, by Warsaw, because he was the son of a Wehrmacht officer who served in Hitler's bunker. Uh, Right from the get-go, things were tense. Uh, Things weren't much better when he left, either, as he said that the right-wing Law and Justice Party that you mentioned, PIS, which has governed Poland since 2015, couldn't decide if Germany was an ally or a scapegoat. Uh, But PIS also provided Berlin with a scapegoat of its own. As long as the right-wing populists were in power in Poland, it was easy for Berlin to discuss the substance of the Polish argument on things like the need for Germany to re-engage with Central and Eastern Europe more broadly, step up on defense or back Ukraine to the hilt. We've seen uh, that come into focus recently. But then we did have elections in Poland uh, recently, which saw both record turnout uh, and former European Council President Donald Tusk emerge with the very real possibility of being able to lead a coalition that would be able to oust the right-wing Law and Justice Party from power. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest the, poor, the Polish foreign policy argument is going to remain essentially the same on a lot of fronts, isn't there?
0: Well, that's what we're going to hear more about from our expert guests today. Um, But in some ways, we can see this might be very likely because the demands that Warsaw had on defense, on Germany doing more for European security, on taking a leadership role that took account of allies' views, allies' perspectives, not least on Russia, that's going to stay the same. In terms of getting geoeconomics right, not exposing ourselves to too much risk, not uh, then exporting that risk to Germany's partners in Central Eastern Europe, who are um, deeply involved in German supply chain and value chains, that's going to stay the same too. And also because of the way that election campaign went with the peace uh, government trying to paint Donald Tusk's party as uh, the pawns of Berlin, certainly Tusk won't have much room for manoeuvre for giving anything easily to Berlin. So I think both from the politics of it, but also the substance, there's not going to be necessarily so much a change. Where there would be change would be in the tone of the relationship. It wouldn't be voiced in quite the same ways. So with that said, let's turn over to our guests for today. We're delighted to welcome Uh, Kai-Olaf Lang from the SWP uh, Jakub Jaraczewski from Democracy Reporting International and Justyna Gotkowska from the Centre for Eastern Studies in Warsaw um, who's joining us in a room today in Berlin Welcome to Berlin, the other two joining us online
1: One of our previous uh, guests on the show, Oliver Moody mentioned that within 30 seconds of talking to most Polish foreign policy experts they'll bring up Germany Uh, Economically it's easy to see why around 29% of its exports go to Germany it gets around 20% of its imports Inputs from Germany. That's by far on both counts the highest percentage for Poland. But there's obviously World War II and Nazi Germany's conduct in Poland, for which the Polish government has, or the current one at least, has demanded further financial reparations from Germany. An issue that Germany says they consider closed. Poland, though, continues to demand over a trillion euros from Germany. At least this current government does. That's around a quarter of annual German GDP. Uh, But there's also a huge other dimension here, and that is military cooperation. Poland, as Ben was just mentioning, is in the middle of a huge rearmament, uh, one that Berlin isn't always so keen on, despite the fact that Poland is the major frontline state between NATO and Russia. That is a role that West Germany used to have during the Cold War. Uh, So. can we get, just get a sense of what is Poland doing, why are they doing it, why is that so important, um, and what explains Berlin's reaction to it?
2: Thank you for the invitation, uh, first of all. Um, answering uh, the question on uh, security and defence policy, what Poland is doing, um, I think that, first of all, all that almost all projects, um, especially with regard to modernization and reform that were started by the previous government, I think uh, in a large extent to, to the large extent that they will be continued. Uh, because uh, across the political um, um, Environment in Poland, Russia is clearly perceived as the threat number one. Uh, Ukraine uh, war is perceived as directly affecting Poland, and the outcome uh, of this war will be crucial for the Polish security. So Poland feels uh, uh, directly threatened by Russia and feels the need to um, to arm itself to deter uh, a possible attack a Russian attack uh, or to defend uh, itself uh, in uh, cooperation uh, with its allies. So the clear priority uh, right now is to rearm uh, itself uh, due to uh, large amounts of military equipment uh, and arms uh, being delivered to Ukraine. So the priority is, uh, and I think this is widely understood, uh, to fill in the stocks, to fill in the units with tanks, with uh, infantry fighting vehicles, with long range artillery, uh, with Uh, fighter aircraft uh, to be able uh, to face up a possible uh, aggressive Russia that might re-emerge in a couple of years uh, even stronger, depending on how the war in Ukraine will end.
0: Right. That's it. But it's not only been about refilling stocks. It's building back more and building back better on those supplies. I mean, we're talking hundreds of high-level main battle tanks. We're talking hundreds of high-level self-propelled artillery pieces bought from South Korea. We're talking Abrams tanks, so high-end stuff bought from the U.S., and F-35 fighter jets, high mars, the full works, actually which has required an enormous amount of GDP uh, to be spent on this. High percentages, right?
2: Yes, that's true. It's not only about refilling the stocks given to Ukraine, it's about strengthening the military. Uh, and there will be a question mark over substantial um, uh, purchases of South Korean equipment especially. Um, the. I'm sure that uh, the first phase of the procurement of tanks uh, and uh, artillery systems uh, will be sustained by the future coalition. But the question mark remains over much more um, substantial cooperation, industrial cooperation, and equipping Polish armed forces with hundreds additional uh, systems. And I think uh, the new government will have to make an audit, a review of where it sees uh, the Polish uh, modernization of the armed forces is going, how much financial means um, in the coming year and in the next years, uh, there will be available for that. Uh, And um, uh, there will be a decision on some um, parts of the modernization programs. But I do believe that um, much of what has been ordered um, in the u.s and the south korea and elsewhere uh, will be sustained because the priorities is clear i think it's clear for the political parties that we need to have strong armed forces in a perspective of three four five years uh, time because this is a time frame when russia can rebuild itself and uh, be a threat right. towards NATO. exactly
0: so it's preparing for that future and kai, kai olaf lang um Justina mentioned that this was ordered from South Korea. It's been ordered from the US. It wasn't ordered from Germany, despite Germany's large um, munitions and um, uh, arms industry. But also, we haven't heard much praise for it here in Berlin. Poland is undergoing the kind of rearmament that Germany is still talking about doing, and Poland's actually going ahead and doing it. Yet we've mainly heard criticism. This is unstrategic spending, it's too expensive, etc. Why Why is that? And why does this make Berlin nervous?
3: Well, I think at the, at the very end, um, we should have... T- what German interests are. and I think Germany is interested in having uh, Poland, which is an important and a key ally in NATO and a key partner in the European Union, which is strong, which is prosperous, and which is secure. So I think it is good for Germany if Poland as a pillar on NATO's eastern flank, which invests in its own defense, in its own armaments, in its own armaments, industry and capabilities, uh, however, what, of course, um, has led to some uh, skepticism, and you pointed at that in Germany, is certainly, I will put it this way, that defense and armaments policy decisions, especially from whom you buy weapon systems, is always also a political signal. There is no doubt that Poland intends to buy high-quality Uh, weapons. Uh, There is no doubt that the the factor of time, who is able to deliver tanks and other weapon systems, also plays an important role. No doubt there are bottlenecks uh, in in European countries, including Germany. But at the same time, if you look at the broad spectrum, it is a a clear strategic investment, particularly in Polish-American relations, which I understand, because the U.S. is the main security anchor for Poland. I think and kind of security and defense cooperation always also has a sort of economic element, particular bearing in mind that uh, people like Donald Trump might get back, but also others in the U.S. will look at um, the security partnership, this new special relationship which is emerging between the U.S. and Poland, also from a commercial point of view. But I think many in, in Germany would have wished a sort of more Euro-Atlantic approach, not only in in armaments and defense, but also in the broader security um, uh, policy posture of Poland.
1: How are we also seeing a little bit, um, perhaps a, a hangover from uh, the German debate over sending various weapons uh, to Ukraine? Uh, for example, uh, the Leopard 2 tanks um, come, in, come yeah, to mind Yeah, the, the re-export right conditions that were put on that by Germany,
0: which right. is blocking in an urgent time to send these things. I mean, certainly that, that's the impression we got. Also, with the value-sharing argument and the technology transfer argument, it seemed as though Poland was going to get a better deal for Poland. From the South Koreans than it would from from Germany.
1: Well, ultimately, it took 11 months, for example, for um, leopards to end up being sent sort of from from start to finish in terms of the German debate. Um, Is there any sense that um, that is influencing uh, the Polish decision about where to order from or who to order from when it comes to some of these armaments? Uh, The fact that, you know, you might have to uh, actually use these later or even re-export them later to Ukraine or to anyone else, and that Germany might drag its feet on this sort of thing? Is it more flexible to order from the Americans and the South Koreans? Uh, my, my play a well, role. That's
3: why, why I said uh, the factor of time, who can deliver when, is also, uh, of course, uh, important. But uh, I think, it's uh, to be fair, this is not part of the broader, I think, uh, security political debate in Germany. The average observer from the security political community says there is this kind of US preference uh, in Poland and this kind of projects into armaments and, and other other decision. On the other hand, I mean, the nitty gritty of, of of defense negotiations, I'm not an expert on that, and of conditions, it works a little bit in both, both directions. Certainly, there might be some restraint in Poland for German hesitance, which might also later on have implications for what Poland does with its weapon systems. On the other hand, look, there is a, a, a Leopard um, Reparation Hub in Gliwice. And uh, there were big ambitions of, of, of both sides. Now it's it's going to start in a rather minimalistic um, version. It's a good project of German-Polish cooperation. Well, German companies reported that the... Uh, the demands from uh, Polish uh, companies, uh, kind of from the business side, were not so attractive for them. So they kind of downscaled it. So I think this works in in, in both directions uh, in a way and always plays into the broader security policy situation. I think the bottom line is uh, what comes out of that. And I think here we have both sides have to work on that. I mean, it's important for for NATO, for the West, that this key security partnership, between Germany and Poland uh, sends the signal to other partners, but also towards Russia and and, and, and competitors that it works. So I think we should avoid further Patriot sagas. So if there are sorts of uh, opportunities for cooperation, we should prepare
0: them maybe more diligently. Is that really a key relationship for Poland? Is Germany a key security partner? And what are what are the complicating factors in the relationships?
2: I would like um, uh, to to uh, place a few comments on the industrial cooperation with Germany and how how does that look from Polish perspective. I think that uh, for Abrams and K two choice uh, there were a few a few reasons. First reason was the time frame where when Poland could get uh, as quickly as possible new tanks, and uh, that was clearly the US and South Korea that were able to deliver quickly. Uh, And Germany back then, in 2022, when the decision was made, um, there was just a purchase from Norway of new Lipa tanks with a uh, delivery date uh, 2030-something. For Poland, uh, that was was not acceptable. And then the second reason, uh, we have to go back into the past. And um, um, Poland did not have a good experience with industrial cooperation, with German companies, with regard to the modernization of its older Leopard 2A4 fleet. Uh, The uh, process of modernization took five, six, seven years. Uh, The deliveries were extremely low. Um, German companies were reluctant to share uh, technology. And um, experience. Uh, and then um, we have to also go back to uh, Poland's strive to particip- participate in the main ground uh, battle tank uh, project, where Germany and France didn't really want third parties like Poland, which would be a big customer of uh, such a system, to take uh, part in uh, industrial. Uh, part in this project uh, because of industrial, very commercial reasons. Uh, And uh, then uh, I think Poland landed with the decision to buy Abrams and uh, K2 tanks. And additional reason was the very um, reluctance of Germany to deliver equipment to Ukraine in uh, early 2022. And the reasoning back then was what about when we are at war? How reliable is Germany then? How reliable is the delivery your spare parts, material uh, for refurbishment and repair of Leopard tanks. So uh, I think that we will end in Poland with with having the Abrams fleet, K-2 fleet, and with Leopard 2A4s, the older version, going um, uh, gradually to Ukraine.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, the notion that these weapons might actually have to be used at some point has seemed to be something rather hard to grasp for certain parts of the German defence industry and also the German government. But Jakub, coming to you, is Germany that key security partner for Poland still?
4: I think that, uh, uh, yes, it is. And it comes from the fact that generally Germany is a key partner from Poland on many dimensions. Um, Economy-wise, it's absolutely a, a, a critical relationship. Uh, The amount of business that is done both ways is simply staggering. At any given time, there are around 100,000 Polish citizens in Berlin, half of them are permanent residents, and the other half are migrant workers who are coming in the city. Um, to work in various industries some of them uh, 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 don't even live in Berlin they just come in for a couple of days to work and drive back across whole Poland back to their families so this is kind of a a a, a snapshot of a a, a far more larger um, uh, uh, background of this relationship and its importance and I think that um, uh, Poland has a very important role to play right now, a role in helping to come about a awakening of uh, Europe to the danger posed by Russia and jumpstarting certain processes, which have been uh, uh, overdue for a long time. And I think that... Uh, a conversation on rearmament, a conversation on capacity of military production. This is something that uh, many Western European countries are doing or should be doing, depending on uh, uh, whom we ask. But when it comes to Germany, I think that this is a very specific uh, uh, situation because Germany is a country with uh, amazing economic capacity, with absolutely unparalleled uh, uh, output in several key uh, industries. And with... uh, also great capacity of its military defense industry, uh, which uh, has been uh, in many ways underused so far. German military production has been mostly uh, for export and the domestically German military has been underarmed and uh, the equipment has been falling apart with time. So perhaps this is a moment for Poland, a new, more constructive Polish government, because this relentless anti-German propaganda is pretty much a specialty of only one political party in Poland, which is using it to drum up its support and to galvanize its uh, core base around the idea of Germans being bad and the other Polish politician parties being in cahoots with Germany. So for the new Polish constructive government to uh, uh, work with its partners, including Germany, but also not being shy of uh, being critical and of being... uh, Uh, there to motivate and go to others, including Germany, to step up on several fronts, one of them being common defense against Russia. And I would very much be happy if a Polish government would be constructive, but this constructivity would also include being able to criticize and to be able to uh, motivate and uh, push things towards a point where we collectively will not have to fear much from Russia, which I believe the European Union is perfectly able of achieving, but uh, some steps needs to be taken.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, so that the hope is that indeed a um government led by Donald Tusk would be perhaps an iron fist in a velvet glove rather than the iron fist in the iron glove that we've seen from um, the Kaczynski-inspired peace government. And so to actually be able to persuade, to seduce a little bit while remaining firm on values. But there is still a gap in geostrategic thinking, isn't there, between Warsaw and Berlin, regardless of who's in charge?
4: Yes, and I think there will be now hopefully a space for a conversation which ideally should be also broader. I hope that the Weimar Triangle, the format for cooperation between Poland, Germany, and France—a um, very important initiative that uh, also has been downplayed over the last eight years—will uh, also come into view because we. It's all connected, and uh, 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 the geopolitics include uh, not only defense against Russia and. Uh, a uh, a proper posture towards china but it also includes topics such as enlargement of the european union and now with this enlargement kind of in a way coming back to life with certain uh, internal resistance in the eu which has persisted for a long time and which has dodged the process being mostly gone We are looking at unprecedented amount of movement, not only towards um, existing uh, candidates uh, from Western Balkans, but most importantly towards Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia. And this is also geopolitics. And uh, uh, we can talk about EU being a pure, mostly an economic uh, community, also sharing some values and not a defense pact. And uh, uh, we can uh, uh, confidently say that expanding the EU does not mean that NATO is going to expand as well at the same pace or that uh, um, uh, EU member states will start deploying their troops in or in uh, uh, Tbilisi. But inevitably, this is a geopolitical move. And uh, uh, here again, we need collabor- cooperation and we need some mutual reinforcement between the big EU member states in particular, when it comes to providing those new candidates with a clear, predictable pathway towards membership The negotiations will take years. Uh, The harmonization process of law and policy will take years. It's inevitably going to be a long road, but there is a very important role to play for both Poland and Germany, uh, hopefully together in uh, making this happen.
1: Is there an opportunity for a new sort of negotiation between Warsaw and Berlin? Yeah. Is there going to be a meeting of minds or is that gap still as large as ever?
2: I think that you mentioned rightly uh, at the beginning uh, and in your introduction that uh, many of uh, old positions uh, in Warsaw will stay and there will be divisions uh, and differences in the geopolitical outlook in the way how the EU uh, should or should not reform itself uh, in combination with enlargement on migration policy, uh, on economic development. But at the same time, there will be a new opening with the new elections, with the new government, or with the new tone of the new government. And despite these differences, uh, um, we should use uh, these opportunities. Uh, I think that there are still uh, divisions with regard to where Ukraine should be in the future European security architecture, how this war should end, where Russia should be in the new European architecture and we will have uh, these differences displayed quite soon. We will have the NATO summit uh, in Washington and I doubt whether the Polish position will be changed on uh, the invitation to NATO um, to be formally uh, uh, issued by by NATO uh, uh, at the Washington summit. I don't think that the position with regard to um, officially denouncing the NATO-Russia founding act will change. I don't think that uh, the position on any kind of peace negotiation will change. Um, and uh, what we see in Poland and what I see um Um, um, from Polish perspective, a very diversified uh, discussion in Berlin with Minister Pistorius being very close to Polish positions, but with the chancellery uh, determining the tone. And the chancellery, I think, have a slightly different view on um, the... Very strategic issues uh, for Poland and um, we will uh, have, uh, also with the new Polish government, there will be clear, um, uh, clear differences on that. But I think the issue that was mentioned, the EU enlargement and EU reform, this will still be an issue that will be divisive. Um, because, from what I have heard so far, I cannot predict what the new government, um, what kind of stance on EU reform there will be, but I think that will be also very conservative and cautious. Um, So, um, that will be a challenge uh, to reopen a dialogue between Poland and Germany on these issues, on linking enlargement uh, with EU reform, on thinking about how enlargement shall proceed, whether we shall reform the process, whether we sh- shall we stick to the old procedures or shall we think uh, more innovatively about the future EU enlargement with staged enlargement yeah, differentiated or differentiated Exactly, yeah. so um, these um, uh, topics will be on the table and that will not be an easy conversation in my opinion and the German government will have it more difficult to uh, discuss these issues with a new Polish uh, government, which we will be more open for discussion, but also expecting that Berlin will uh, go into some real negotiations and will give concessions. Right. Yeah, and that, exactly. we, we've
0: said that a few times actually on other episodes of Berlin Side Out, that this actually, as much as it presents an opportunity for Berlin, it's going to be very difficult because they can't simply dismiss these demands as those of people they radically politically disagree with or who can be dismissed as far-right lunatics or so on, as they often are in the Berlin discourse. So that, when the substance remains the same, that creates an issue. And also, I mean, Aaron, we were just saying that these things, there are differences on positions. You've, you've seen us outlined a number of them. Kai Olaf, how do, how do you see that? Because one of those key differences is on NATO membership, which a lot of people here uh, in Berlin are still very reluctant about, but which around Europe is coming to be seen as something that actually may have to proceed, go ahead of EU membership because to have that security guarantee in place, to have the uh, reconstruction work, to have Ukraine's reform proceed, you need security and NATO is the way to provide that. But we know that at the Vilnius summit, Berlin was one of the blockers, Warsaw was one of the proponents. Can that gap be bridged?
3: Allow me uh, a more more fundamental remark on on also what has been said so far. And uh, the the issue you are pointing at uh, fits into this broader uh, situation. I think we have a sort of di- dialectics between Germany and, and Poland very often. And the structural dialectical constellation we had in the last years is about the following. In a way, Germany has been the status quo power in Europe for, and in the European Union for quite some time, at least until February last year. Whereas Poland was the anti-status quo power. What do I mean by that? So Germany as a status quo power was very reluctant when it came to a deep overhaul of the functioning of the European Union, rather an evolutionary way of doing reforms, if at all, no big deepening, no kind of upgrade of the Eurozone reluctance towards projects like the banking union and so forth. No enlargement, at least it was not really politically pushed for a long time. And of course, also status quo, prolongation, pragmatic relations and cooperation with Russia. So that was kind of the German predilection for status quo, whereas Poland increasingly got this kind of contesting factor in European affairs. It wanted, at least the the peace government, wanted to take back control, did a sort of anti-hegemonial containment policy vis-a-vis Germany and France. It wanted to have Ukraine and other Eastern European countries in the EU. So it was pushing for enlargement for many, many years. And of course, it wanted a uh, decoupling of Russia before, long before the war had started. So this was a, a fundamental difference. What makes things more complicated? If you look at certain policies, it was the other way around. So Migration policies: Here, Germany was pushing for change in the EU. Climate policies: Germany was standard bearer of an ambitious climate policy, at least for quite some time. Germany was very sympathetic, not in the French way, to strategic autonomy, especially in transatlantic relations, especially in the times of of Donald Trump. Whereas in all these issues, Poland was more conservative, was more status quo oriented. Now. Things have fundamentally changed, and that's kind of the the demanding uh, situation after the war, because now Germany said, of course, we are now we we are opening up for the enlargement agenda. But this has to go along with basic reforms, QMV and so on and so forth we now Poland, including the the probable new new government, will be uh, reluctant. Uh, Tusk said something like, "We don't want to have institutional an institutional revolution uh, in the EU." When he was in Brussels uh, recently, you mentioned, and also I think with with uh, question of of NATO enlargement, I think here Germany will act in a more traditional mode in a way. Security guarantees for Ukraine. Yes, this is conditio sine qua non, for reconstruction, for the approximation to the European Union. But NATO membership, yes, but, and only in close coordination with Washington. I mean, that's also one of the effects of what we were witnessing after February last year, is this increasing revitalization of Berlin and Washington um, uh, cooperation. Um, Weimar Triangle, I am very humble. For many years, I I followed this. And uh, the Weimar Triangle is a a sort of a story of lost opportunities. And uh, there have been many policy papers which described the potential which this trilateral uh, has, there's no doubt. But I think the key to Weimar lies in Paris. I think France traditionally was reluctant to open up the exclusiveness of the Franco-German tandem for others, in this case, for Poland. And Germany was a bit ambivalent. Yeah, There were some interesting aspects, but at the same time, sometimes it's used as an excuse. But I think what we will witness in the next months with a new government in Poland is certainly meetings, including the top level, also meetings of, of line ministries. I think uh, all three, including all three countries, including uh, Germany, would like to uh, take advantage of this format in order to... Uh, maybe not pre-cook but at least to to have a uh, have a have a dialogue on this basic issue justina mentioned that about eu reforms and and enlargement and i think paris and berlin are aware that they have to kind of bring in centrally a voice of central central europe particularly Poland with its more sort of willingness to at least engage in a conversation with Paris.
0: We've just recorded an episode of Berlin Side Out with Sylvie Kaufmann and Jakob Ross, one of our in-house um, Franco-German experts. And they do not really see a revitalization of Franco-German relations quite the other way, let's no, say. No. And moreover, with that, what they do see is a French rapprochement with Central Eastern Europe, but they don't necessarily see one from Berlin. So that, that's quite an interesting perspective you put across there. Of
1: course, Weimar Triangle refers to Paris, Warsaw, and Berlin. And on one hand, we could ask whether Donald Tusk really is going to accept a backseat role to Paris and Berlin. Um, that's one way of asking that question. But I do think that it's a bit more complicated than this. Um, and that is especially the case when we look at NATO membership, for example, which we've just been talking about. Um, Paris and Warsaw, it turns out, are actually much more in favor of Ukrainian-NATO membership than Berlin is, who you know has decided that it's okay to hide behind Washington and put the kibosh on plans for uh, a rather fast integration of, of Ukraine into NATO. So is it really... Um, as easy as uh, sort of Warsaw kind of coming in between the Franco and German married couple, or is it more complicated than this, uh, where there's a possibility that on certain questions that Berlin risks being isolated from the other two?
2: Weimar Triangle, I must say, I'm more skeptical towards this format. Also, I think there will be a revitalization of that uh, with more symbolic uh, meetings between Berlin, uh, Paris, Paris and Warsaw. Uh, But uh, Weimar Triangle uh, has a structural imbalance. Uh, structural imbalance um uh, between two major European powers and one uh, regional European uh, power, Poland, Warsaw was expected to back German-French uh, proposals uh, within the within the triangle, and that was on many occasions not uh, acceptable. Uh, but of course, uh, this uh, format has a symbolic value, uh, can serve as a coordination format. Uh, but uh, coming back to what you mentioned, uh, that uh, the issue is more complicated and interplay between these three actors um, have recently shown um, additional formats being created uh, between Poland and France, for example, uh, both uh, countries backing uh, Ukraine uh, membership in NATO, but also within the EU backing, uh, for example, the EU training mission for Ukraine and leaving Berlin in the corner and jointly pushing uh, this mission through uh, and then with Berlin uh, later on uh, joining the in and together with Poland creating two comments, one in Poland and one in Germany to train Ukrainian soldiers Um, and uh, uh, it might be interesting to see whether this uh, Franco-Polish cooperation might materialize on different uh, topics. Uh, I think that would be desirable because then uh, the um, dynamic uh, of cooperation, policy development in Europe would change a bit and I think flexible cooperation And coalitions, is that what we need, at least from uh, middle-sized powers like Poland?
0: Right. More Europe rather than more France and Germany masquerading as more Europe. And the question, I guess, comes to be, is, is Berlin comfortable with others taking the lead at times? Is Paris comfortable with that? Are they comfortable with letting others set the pace, as has been the case with the response to Ukraine? And I think Macron swinging behind the Central Eastern European-led campaign to get Ukraine's EU membership candidacy approved was a crucial moment, because Berlin was still reluctant at that stage. And when France shifted, then Berlin was left with nowhere to go, much like on the training mission. Um, But Jakob, do you think that Poland's uh, new government gives a chance for Poland to actually be more influential because of its more liberal stance?
4: A couple of things here. So uh, first of all, we talk about Donald Tusk a lot, but we need to be mindful of the fact that the um, government that will likely end up uh, uh, holding the reins of Poland very shortly will be actually made up of a coalition. And Donald Tusk and his civic coalition is just one part of it. There are two other players, uh, or three, even three players in this game. The Third Way, a coalition that finished second in the Polish election with 14% of votes and it's made up of two parties, the Agrarian Party, PSL, traditional, traditionalist, pro-European and very much focused on agrarian matters, and uh, Polska 2050, the new party by Szymon Hołownia, which is uh, difficult to describe, I would say, that centrist, uh, Christian, social, democrat, but also with bits of green in it. But... At this point, currently, a little bit more to the right than Tusk's uh, civic coalition, which became a very big tent of uh, centrist ideas. And of course, then there is the left, which is a uh, a, a, a amalgam of um, several Polish left-wing parties and movements, but at its core of itself, it's the social democratic left. So this isn't exactly the same Tusk and Tusk government that was before. So it's a little bit of a more broader uh, stroke than just liberal um, uh, tendencies. But what I think is, and I would very much happy for, be happy if that happened, was that n- this new government would uh, stop in a way downplaying Poland and punching under Poland's weight. Because a long story is that Poland has been the country which had bought into the narrative of it being a small poor and a kind of periphery of Europe and not realizing its uh, economic uh, military and uh, uh, political potential and while to the credit of the outgoing polish government it has been far more bullish and assertive in several areas in which Poland has been traditionally downplaying itself. The problem is that this government has been also toxic and has been conducting most of its uh, foreign policy for uh, purely for the benefit of domestic audience. So I would, what I would like to see is this uh, new uh, uh, Poland, uh, Tusk 2.0, let's say, led um, to uh, 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 start punching at or above its weight and uh, to realize that with our economic potential that with our military potential which is expanding as we've discussed uh, at the beginning of this meeting and with our current geopolitical position this is a place where we can start uh, playing a little bit more i would not say aggressively but i live definitely in a way that's more uh, adequate to the Pol- to poland's potential So, yes, uh, but this would require also a little bit of a change of mindset in Warsaw among the people who will be forming the new government. Some of them have been in this game for a very long time, and they might have actually have a hard time exiting this uh, uh, Poland is still knocking on the doors of Europe mindset and moving into the mindset of Poland being one of the top players in, uh, in, in the region. So, yes, there is potential. We will see how this plays out, but we also need to be mindful that this is no longer... Uh, let's say, uh, one political party or two political parties. This is a far broader coalition. Uh, The civic coalition itself also has kind of shifted from being center-right party into being Centrist, with also elements of left-wing agenda, I would say, and uh, this will be a different government, and this will be a different approach.
0: Right, that's it, and that that move away from some of the neoliberal economics that characterizes that characterised the previous Civic Platform government is one of the significant changes, I think, in that constellation of power. Partly to do with the left being involved, partly to do with the realisation that that's been something of a dead end anyway, and was something that hurt the uh, Civic Platform last time out. But certainly, with the Czech example, you had a, an almost similar case of. a two-block, five-party coalition uniting to oust, in that case, the oligarch Andrei Babish, the anti-politics guy, was as opposed to the, the right-wing ideologues of peace. But nonetheless, they have managed to hold it together, and they have managed to actually get Czechia punching above its weight on foreign policy for the first time in in practically 20 years. So there is a model to look at if you can actually make the coalition work, I think, Um, But Aaron, I mean, it's very interesting to hear this. We heard Tomas Ilves uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about how Poland has done everything to limit its own influence in recent times. And now Jakub is saying that actually, the time of shooting ourselves in the foot is over, hopefully.
1: Well, I mean, that's the big question, right? Um, obviously, it's going, It's obviously, I think as we've been hearing, it's a large coalition. Jakob rightly mentions that it's not simply about Donald Tusk. It's a lot of interests to uh, to, to reconcile. But if there is a common vision that can be made, then yes, obviously there is an opportunity um, also to re-engage um, the relationship with Berlin. That's what I wanted to ask Kai Olaf about exactly
0: that because Kai Olaf there has to be recognition on both sides what does poland need to do to get a better hearing in berlin i mean there have been serious problems in the past as well we talked about rule of law you talked about um upsetting the eu status quo and so on. now that's changed around but what does what does warsaw need to do and what does poland need to do more widely to get that better hearing in berlin
3: i would agree i mean polish governments uh, in the last years have consistently Bet on the wrong horses. So um, if you remember after 2015, the key partners uh, for Poland were the UK, which left the European Union, was Trump as someone who was not really fond of the EU or Germany, who lost elections. And the Visegrad countries, particularly the alliance with Hungary on rule of law migration, which fell apart due to, the, uh, due to Russia's war. So uh, I think a weakness of Poland, by the way, also of, of other Central European countries, but particularly of Poland uh, in the last years, was it had not really networking power, and it was not able to diversify um, uh, its, its network of partners, Particularly uh, by finding ways to Berlin and Paris. And Paris, I always used to say. Also, the the guys in in, in Platforma and around Tusk, including people like Radik Sikorski, they were not really fans of Germany, especially when it comes to security. But they drew another conclusion. That conclusion was: we we cannot completely trust Germany. The conclusion of peace was that's why we have to do containment. The conclusion of Tusk and Tchaikovsky and others were we cannot really trust Germany. That's why we have to cooperate more, uh, at least where it is possible. So what Poland has to do, uh, to to clearly say what the expectations are and to say which issue areas, which projects might be uh, attractive. Cooperation with Poland, I think, for Germany has an added value because... um, Mm, There was this pivot to France in the last years. It's not in Germany's interest uh, to be dependent too much on uh, contacts with France. So also Germany has an interest to have um, alternative partners, additional partners, counterweights to France or to the south of Europe. Now, just one sentence on what you said before and what colleagues in another podcast Said about France and, and Central Europe. Uh, here I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm a, a bit. A bit cautious. Not only because I remember different attempts from Paris to open up to Central Eastern Europe. Sarkozy, for example, travelled to the region and he signed, I think, seven so-called strategic accords with countries from the region. Nothing came out of that. Yes, there are some overlaps. I think in let's say two and a half areas, agriculture. With between France and Poland, especially, yeah, um, aspects of energy policy, true, nuclear, uh, and aspects of strategic culture which make it possible for France and Poland, despite I think quite different views, strategic views of the world, to do uh, cooperation. However, we have a long list of divergences and discrepancies which will not vanish between France and Poland, France and Central Europe that is. Um, uh, the level of ambitions or the strategic objective of European defense and the approach to transatlantic relations. That is the question of enlargement. Yes, much has changed in France, but I don't think that a country which maybe was not really an active advocate of the Eastern Enlargement 2004-2007 now really wants to uh, wants to push for bringing Western Balkans and other Eastern European countries because there is a there is a reluctance in in Paris that the uh, uh, that this will lead to a power shift uh, in the European Union even more towards the east. Budgetary questions, then uh, the old um, issue of europe has to look not only to the east but also to the south or, the, or to the middle east this uh, the mediterranean this discrepancy also will not vanish and um, i think this means that there are considerable limitations to a reset uh, in, in a sort of
0: positive constructive collaborative way between France and Central Europe. On those accords signed by Sarkozy, yes, the uh, Czech-French strategic partnership lay moribund for many years. Nothing was done with it. But not really much has come out of the Czech-German strategic dialogue, to be honest, either. And I think what, at least the people we talk to in Paris um, seem to think that there's been a genuine shift in strategic perspective about actually recognising that power shift to the East has already happened and that France needs to capitalize on that at a time when Germany isn't.
2: I think that we should not uh, think, uh, especially in security and defense, too much about um, or shape Polish-German relations um, within the bilateral relationship, because... um, I think we are past the situation where we could um, strengthen Polish-German ties on a bilateral basis only. Uh, We have NATO, NATO Regional Defense Plans, uh, and uh, the implementation of them currently ongoing, and this is a wider framework where Poland and Germany, together with all other countries, uh, Scandinavia, Sweden soon hopefully, Finland, Baltic states, uh, but also UK, France, will need to plug in and to find its place in a wider uh, framework of um, collective defense operations and collective defense uh, uh, framework. So the same with regard to Ukraine um, and uh, maybe not uh Talking right now about Ukraine's mem- membership in NATO, but uh, rather talking about uh, the enhancement of European support for Ukraine, military support for Ukraine. Because I think this will be a challenge that we will have to face jointly um, in uh, the coming months, with the US uh, uh, Congress um, hesitating or discussing the scope of the um, uh, overall uh, support for Ukraine with uh, the, mili- the new package. Uh, being possibly delayed and in part for Ukraine uh, it might uh, decrease and that will pose uh, difficult questions uh, for us Uh, meaning increasing um, European jointly joint uh, military support uh, for Ukraine in the coming months and here the eastern flank countries Germany, uh, France, uh, UK will have to find a solution how to handle uh, a very difficult uh, situation so I think this is not only we're talking right now not only about you know bilateral uh, polish German initiatives or projects uh, we have much larger larger framework uh, frameworks where Poland and Germany will have to uh, cooperate find its place uh, together with uh, other partners
0: right this this is such an important point that's about getting these teams working properly it's about the whole team not just about those two that tandem there um and that's something we we try and think about quite a lot uh here at the dgap here on on berlin side out is getting that teamwork really going but aaron there have been some obstacles to team play haven't there
1: well yes um and if we look at polish domestic politics for a moment um one question that's open um up in the air at the moment that we were actually discussing with our previous guest oliver moody um on our episode about the baltic is whether Uh, The last uh, number of years of law and justice uh, um, government in uh, Poland has uh, sort of constrained uh, any new government's room to maneuver. This is the big question. What kind of factor do reparations play? Um, Is this something that is actually going to be uh, taken forward as a discussion uh, between uh, Warsaw and Berlin under a new government? Um, And how big of a role will that play? How serious of a discussion will that actually be? And uh, if so, um, can a deal actually be done? And what is necessary for a deal to be done?
4: I believe that uh, reparations, uh, the whole topic of reparations was uh, played by the peace government purely for domestic audience, which is why it has uh, done. A lot in the public relations uh, and marketing sphere uh, on this, including sending reports on damages done by Germany to Poland, to uh, governments around the world, including North Korea, uh, but has not taken any concrete, uh, uh, actually viable steps towards... Uh, reaching any sort of uh, um, agreement on this and moving this further. So what I expect is that uh, the new government will recognize that there is a slice of Polish society which expects something to be done about those uh, reparations and will probably um, uh, 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 perform some uh, moves such as... and discussing this with the German government and uh, keeping the item on the agenda, but will definitely not turn it into a blunt instrument to beat Berlin over only for uh, 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 the peace power base to cheer about. So I believe that this topic will play out significantly differently. And it will be quite easy to see that reparations are pretty much a one-party item and they are on the menu if peace is in power and they are... Not so much on the menu of pieces out.
0: Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's unlikely we'll see a repetition of last year's scene. The 3rd of October 2022, German Reunification Day, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock visits Warsaw, going to the Warsaw Security Forum, only to be presented with this demand for reparations upon arrival from the uh, Polish government at the time. We're unlikely to see that kind of thing. But Justina, what role are they going to play going forward?
2: I think that historical issues and Polish-German relationship uh, will still... important because i think that there is a feeling in the society about a a kind of historical injustice Uh, and with this topic being raised strongly by peace i think this issue needs to be closed and uh, uh, by german government showing and engaging in flagship projects uh, that uh, could give a feeling that um, it's uh, that Berlin sees that this issue is important, and that Berlin wants to invest. uh, Also, financial means uh, uh, for this topic to be closed, and I see two possibilities uh, to do that. Uh, I think that uh, um, a flagship project needs to be supported by Germany with regard with some historical connotations, and uh, there is an issue on the table of uh, German support for rebuilding Saxony Palace in Warsaw, uh, a highly uh, symbolic building destroyed by the Germans uh, 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 during the Second World War at the end of the Warsaw Uprising.
0: And that's in the Ogrodzaski. That's uh, in the Ogrodzaski Right. The heart of Warsaw, exactly.
2: Well exactly. Exactly. And I think, um, from my personal uh, view, one needs a, a flagship project, joint project, and security. Uh, and that could be, for example, a joint Polish-German purchase of uh, some major um, military equipment, like a Patriot battery, for example, like a submarine, uh, where Germany can um, get involved financially. Where can this could be operated jointly or by the Polish side, which could show that Germany cares deeply about security of Poland, and this is a substantial investment and engagement um, into uh, in. Enhancing Polish security.
1: Could that actually happen? What is the um, what is the likelihood that uh, both Warsaw and Berlin could actually be forthcoming when it comes to this kind of uh, these kinds of approaches, Kai Olaf?
3: I think history is back on the agenda. I call this rehistorization. So in a way, the Second World War uh, in German-Polish relations now is closer than 10, 15 years ago. Uh, What has changed in the narrative of peace was that um, I think peace was not um, a big champion of the notion of reconciliation. For peace, reconciliation was rather something which uh, the liberals who wanted to uh, reinforce contacts with Germany after 1989, 1990 uh, were pushing – and peace reinvented kind of reconciliation by arguing that the reconciliation is only possible if there is a sort of material compensation reparations or however you call it that this this uh, that was kind of from a formal point of view from a legal point of view for Germany not acceptable uh, but i think what we will see now is a sort of um, a more um, a more sober dialogue on common history uh, with some gestures from the German side. And uh, I always uh, uh, say that a gesture cannot be imposed on you. You know, It has to come from inside. So the project of having a German-Polish house, a, bit of a strange name for a place to uh, remember the Polish uh, victims of the uh, Second World War in Berlin is one of the projects, but there might also be other gestures. So I don't think that history-related issues will hijack the agenda in the next time. I would say um, these these clubs and teams, uh, which we are part of, uh, EU and NATO particularly, they only work if bilateral relations are in a good shape. It's like with any other club. If you have uh, two or three uh, relations in the club which do not work, the whole team spirit will not function. So I think these, that that's something where we have to be aware that Germany and Poland are embedded in a European and a transatlantic context, but this embeddedness is always ambivalent. It brings us closer together. It opens up new opportunities, but it is also a source for for squabbles.
0: Right. I mean, we we talked recently also about um, Timothy Garton-Ash's wonderful phrase, a usable past, the uses of history that are made. And I think there's an opportunity for Germans and Poles, as well as others, who can actually take those past grievances and turn them into a project for the future, as Justina mentioned in security, but also on cultural and social reparation terms. But just to to conclude, Kai you mentioned it's time for a sober dialogue. I remember a particular scene in the the wonderful film by Andrei Vaida, Choviexas Jelaza, the man of iron, where one of the main characters says two sober poles could agree on nothing. So... Can can Poles and Germans agree in a sober way, or are some other uh, other additional ingredients required for this rapprochement to to go forward into the future?
1: And if so, what ingredients are those? <laughs> yeah, suggestions suppose. to Berlin
0: side out via Twitter, yeah, please. Well,
1: we 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 love those suggestions, but I guess what we're hearing is that um, something obviously is necessary. A different R word is necessary, potentially. Maybe not reparations, but certainly reconciliation, which is obviously tied up any form of reparation.
0: So we've heard a lot today about the new opportunities that are opened up for. Polish-German cooperation, but also the challenges that uh, adhere to that relationship, not only from inside, but also from outside. And facing some of those challenges together seems to be one of the most productive ways to actually take that relationship forward and to make the wider European and NATO teams work a little bit
1: more as they are supposed to. And to reconcile, of course, as we've been discussing as well. All of these topics we're going to pick up in the second part of our uh, coverage on German-Polish relations. Uh, That episode will be out uh, soon, but in the meantime... Uh, join us uh, again for our look to France and later, of course, in the season to London, Ottawa and Washington for our transatlantic look as well at Germany's key relationships and how they need to be reviewed against the backdrop of the German Venda. Thanks very much and Jinkuya to our guests uh, this week for joining us. Uh, until next time, that is all from Berlin. Auf Wiedersehen and Tschüss. The Virginia.